All right, Genesis 18. We're gonna, I'm going to read the whole chapter. You guys can follow along. So, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, this is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I had found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread so that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent and to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Verse 9, they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to see them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there, and they went down toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous people, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Verse 27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. We destroy the whole place for lack of five. And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, 
Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak once. I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here together. We knew, we know that you have planned for everybody in this room to uh, come and hear your word and to worship you. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us all together. And we pray that uh, I pray that my words would speak what you want me to speak. Let this be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we've got a lot of things happening in this chapter, in this story. So just to sum it up, Abraham and Sarah are there, and God is giving them a lesson. They're they're his covenant partners. If you guys remember, Rob talked about this last week. I wasn't there, but I read it. Um, God is teaching his covenant partners, Abraham and Sarah, that he's faithful, that he's just, and he's merciful. In doing so, what God is doing is he's guarding and nurturing his covenant with them. He's guarding and nurturing, and he's confirming his promise so that their own faith would grow towards a more complete maturity. So ten years after Abraham left his homeland, God put Abraham, um, his name was Abram back then, he put Abram in a deep sleep and made the official covenant with him, which Rob talked about last week. And if you guys remember, they they laid these animals out, and they cut them in half, and they they put them on the side, and you're supposed to walk through it, right? This was a this was a big deal. Um, so <clears throat> either Abraham didn't fully communicate this uh, God's promise to his wife, or perhaps maybe she just didn't really believe it. But in a faithless move, later after that, Sarah takes matters into her own hand, and she basically has um, a tries to have an heir through Hagar, which is Abraham's and Sarah's maidservant. And they, she causes a lot of problems, long-lasting problems. And then later in chapter 17, God appears again to Abram and changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. He, he reiterates his covenant promise with them with physical size, with the physical sign of circumcision. If you guys remember, telling them again that they will be the parent, they'll be the father and mother of nations of a nation, of a humongous amount of people. Um, <clears throat> Abraham, at this point, is almost 100 years old, and he laughed at disbelief in, in chapter 17 at the idea of having a child that late in life. And so today we're going to go through chapter 18, and we're going to see how God confirms this covenant again with Abraham and Sarah. And we will learn in the process how God is faithful God is faithful and how he's just and merciful. So up to this point, God appeared to Abraham a number of times, right? You take the last couple chapters of Genesis. Over the space of about 10 years, as far as we can tell, Abraham, he was named Abram, received this this series of promises from God. This was like earth-shaking stuff. And so I went back and I listed them all. So first, God promised that his his descendants would be a great nation, number one. Number two, he promised that they would be numerous as the stars, pretty numerous. Number three, he promised that his descendants would be blessed. 
Number four, he promised that his descendants would inherit the land indefinitely. Number five, God promised that Abraham would be blessed. He said, number six, that Abraham's name would be made great. Number seven, God promised that Abraham would be protected by God. And number eight, God promised that God himself would be the reward to Abraham. God would be Abraham's reward. Number nine, he promised that Sarah would have a son. And number ten, all nations were to be blessed through Abraham. This is is quite a list. This is a staggering list. And what's common in this? What stands out? Abraham was to be blessed. The nation that he fathered was to be blessed. And the whole world was to be blessed. It's blessings stacked on top of blessings in this 10-year period of his life where he's getting this covenant from, from God. And so as I was studying this, it struck me that my default after all these years is still not really to think of God as someone who blesses. Does anyone else struggle with that? You think of God as like the harsh, like Jesus is where like the lovey-dovey stuff happens. And God is like where like the, the punishment, the, the hammer man, right? The guy coming down on you. Um, so I was reading these promises, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and was convicting me about this. Um, like, like me, some of you probably grew up with some legalistic stuff, like in, in kind of a legalistic. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was a kid in the 80s, and so this was, there was the uh, legalistic, like, church environment that I was in was kind of a, a blowback to like prosperity preachers and like televangelists and all that stuff. Right? It's very appropriate, right? The pendulum swung completely the other way, and we were like holiness or nothing. So I didn't really understand grace until I was an adult. It is imperative that we see God correctly, and it's only possible by studying His Word. God's Word reveals himself to us. That is the purpose of this in the the Old New Testaments. Although we are are pretty uh, reformed here, I think it's um, we tend to fall into the ditch of thinking about God as being the great judge. We we fall to that side. At least I do personally. Um, It's we work hard to diligently we need to work hard to diligently understand the nature of God. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, we don't want to fall into the one ditch where he's like all love and blessings. right? Or the other ditch, which I personally go to, which is the ditch of like overemphasizing his wrath and his, his judgment. right? But I can't go over there without downplaying his great love and his faithfulness. God is all his attributes completely all the time. And reading through these, this list that God gave to Abraham, this, this list of promises in the covenant, struck me how much blessing God intends to bless the earth. He intends to bless the earth. And he reveals a, a couple key things about himself in this chapter. So, he, he says to Abraham, I'm faithful in, in so many words, I'm merciful and I'm just, and here's... Here's why. To what end? Why would he tell him this? So in studying the Abrahamic covenant and writing out the, these, this list of promises, I get you, you get this bigger view of the picture. God intends to bless the world. And now we're 4,000 
or so years later. And guess what? We're that nation. Like, it, it's happening. It's happening. We are the recipients of the blessings of Christ. And we as believers are this great nation that was promised. And the world is being and ongoing, being blessed through us and through Christ. We are his body. And so this is like reading about something too good to be true. It's already like happening. This is redemptive history. And God is faithful to uh, bring it about. So, verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. So if, as, you, as we get into this, this opening scene, right, he's out, there, he's out there in the desert. They've got these big trees. They were mentioned a couple times in the land of Canaan there, and they're famous. And so he's resting probably, you know, nodding off a siesta time outside of his tent in the heat of the day, which had been early afternoon. And something happens. He looks up, and the Bible tells us that there's three men standing there in front of him. And Abram Abram immediately recognizes them as the Lord. In Hebrew, he's the word they use is Adonai. And Adonai means master, master or ruler. He addressed these three visitors as Lord. So, so some commentators say that there, these men was like Jesus and two angels. And others say it could have been three angels, three messengers from the Lord, from God. And, and so even others say it's kind of a representation of like the Trinity. Um, but because they sat and ate together, there's a strong indication of whoever they were. And God was appearing as physical humanity. He was a physical man or three men, depending on how you interpret that. Um, <clears throat> so Abram runs out to meet these guys, and he rolls out the red carpet. It's, it's a prime example of hospitality, and it's unusual for a patriarch of this, of this sort to be the guy running around saying, hey, let's get this food, let's, let's, let's get the calf, let's get the bread, let's, you know, let's get the, the cheese, and let's, let's do this. But he was very impressed. It was impressed on him that these guys were the Lord. This was the Lord visiting him. <clears throat> so Hebrews uh, thirteen two is probably referring to this when it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for, bit, for by doing so, some, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You guys have heard that verse before. So he's hustling to make these guys comfortable. He's really moving. So he under-promises. He asks them, you know, hey, would you like a morsel and a little water, right? Under-promising, and then he way over-delivers. This is hospitality. This is hospitality at its finest. He has Sarah get six gallons, the, the unit they use, of, of uh, seas. It's like six gallons of flour. How many cakes for the bakers in this room would six gallons of flour make? I read somewhere it would be like 22 pounds of really nice bread. Um, that's a lot. So that would have been far more that they could eat together. So Abram, um, or Abraham at this point, was planning to stock them up for the trip. He was going to feed them, and then he was going to, here's, here's the rest of the 20 pounds left, and, and you know, pack them up and, and send them on their way with it. Verse 8 says, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he'd prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree 
while he ate. <clears throat> so the Lord accepts Abram's, Abraham's hospitality, and he waits until the meal is over before he gets down to business. And what was this business that he was up to? Verse 9 says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So let's look at what's happening here. The Lord came to Sarah again with news that they've gotten before. Um, In the last ten years, they've gotten this news a couple times. He came to her again with news that he will bless her with the son. It was the Lord's desire to confirm and remind Sarah of this hard-to-believe thing that was going to happen. She would indeed have a son, even though she's 95 or whatever it was. She had heard this promise a few times, but God comes. Why? He comes to strengthen her faith and give give her this new update. He's saying, this promise is still in play. This is still going to happen. So Sarah wasn't with them at the time. She was in the tent. She was close by. And she overheard this announcement. And so we're let into the story with like this this voyeuristic sneak peek into her thoughts. She's behind the tent flap. And verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with her. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So we're reminded again that they were very old, and she was no longer able to have children. And the, the way of, the, of women had ceased to be with her. So she had passed menopause, and it was like now a physical impossibility. There was no way this was normally possible. So knowing this, she laughs to herself. It's not like she's laughed out loud, right? There's, she, she's got guests outside the tent flap. She's not, ha, 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 you know, that's crazy. They didn't hear her do it. She's, she's doing this in secret, and we're let in on this little sneak peek of what was going on with her. Um, so she, she laughs out loud. Now, sorry, she laughs quietly, not out loud. She laughs why? Because, as we learned last week, she, laughs, she laughed because she had weak faith. She had this awkward, incomplete faith. In her limited view, the Lord's statement that she'll have a son in about a year was... was borderline ridiculous, like enough to get her to like chuckle about it to herself. Um, it was borderline ridiculous. So whether or not she might have believed in the, in the promise the year prior, or five years prior, at some point she did not have all the faith to really fully believe that this was a sure thing. Her faith was weak, and it was struggling. It was awkward. It was awkward faith. In contrast... The Lord shows up, and he's faithful. He's able to do anything, and he's completely in control. But what really stands out is that the Lord revisits. He revisits them, and he revisits this promise onto them, this covenantal promise. He shows up on the doorstep, on the, on the tents, the tent flap. It's not a door. He shows up again to confirm and restate this promise. He came when Sarah was weak in her faith. At this point, we know that for sure. He reminded her that this was gonna, this amazing thing was still on the menu. It was still going to happen. 
So he came not only as the author of our faith. We know that God is the author of our faith. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. He came to increase her faith, to perfect it, to grow it, right? Um, He came to help her along in this. He came to strengthen her. And this is an act of great compassion that the Lord has on us, that he loves us enough to perfect and to increase and to grow our faith. Um, His faithfulness, God's faithfulness is absolute. It's not based... God's, the Lord's faithfulness wasn't based on Sarah's ability to believe it or not. His faithfulness is the standard. It's absolute. He knows and he fully understands our limitation as people. Um, Psalm 103 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord understands. And he came to strengthen our faith. So what we believe doesn't hinder or sort of alter God's plans or ruin his, his, his plan, but it does have lasting consequences. It does have real consequences because it, what we believe drives our actions. We've been, we learned that in the James series earlier. What we believe absolutely comes out in what we do. And so it can affect things, but it won't change God's plan. It will not. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... Her weak faith caused her to attempt to take matters into her own hands. And she, cre- she created this heir. She tried to do what God wanted to do. And she, you know, she, had a, she had Ishmael, this uh, second son of the, of the servant. And that caused lasting and huge problems. But it didn't derail God's plan. It's important to know that. Um, so God knew that Sarah would need to hear his words on this day. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing his words would increase her faith. The Lord came, he spoke, and her faith was increased. If you want more faith, you guys, you got sti- to stick in this book. This is the Lord's words to us, and it will increase our faith. So God's promises are true, and he confirmed two of them, again, for the, uh, you know, for the nth time, he confirmed his plan for Sarah that she would bear a son, even though she's 95. And he would fulfill his promise to Abraham that he would become the father of a great nation, the patriarch, which means father ruler of a great nation, which would do what? By which the world would be blessed. God came to say, this is still happening. You're going to be a great nation, and I am still going to bless the whole world. God's faithfulness is complete despite our faith. Like Sarah's being weak and incomplete, weak and awkward. As a friend said to me recently, even any ability to be faithful to him is of him. Even any ability to be faithful to God comes from God. So as we also learned in our study in James, we can trust God to test our faith in order to strengthen it. God came. He tested Sarah's faith. He restated her promise. She had a weak moment. She kind of laughs about it behind the tent flap. And he found her faith lacking, but she was tested, and God increased her faith anyway because he cannot deny himself. He has a plan, and the plan is going to happen. So how do we know this worked? How do we know this is how it went down? 
We can peek ahead in the Bible to see the results of Sarah's faithfulness. They talk about her again in Hebrews 11, the the great hall of faith chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Since she considered God faithful who made the promise. That's a stunning verse. God is still faithful, and Sarah gained the faith that she needed to have this child because she considered God faithful. He came and said, this is going to happen, and she she's struggling. She got there. We know she got there because Hebrews 11 says she got there. So in this way, God nurtured, he faithfully nurtured his covenant with Abraham and Sarah by which the world would be blessed. God is absolutely faithful, and Sarah came to learn this. So um, the next chapter is the Sodom and Gomorrah chapter. Pretty familiar if you've read the Bible. And one of the major themes of this chapter and, and this whole section of the Bible is the, is the just nature of God. For a person to be considered just, you'd be, you'd be a person who displayed fairness, right? You'd, you would consistently make righteous decisions. You'd uphold principles of justice. And when it comes to God, his very nature is the source of true justice. It's defined by his being. Justice as a concept is defined by God. And his words and his actions are all in accordance with his nature. And his words are here in actions, which also tells about his actions. He is morally right and fair. He administers judgment and retribution retribution in a consistent manner to his perfect standards. And remember, we learn in James, he's not impartial at all. And he does not discriminate or show favoritism based on your appearance or, or your, you know, your, your clothing or any external factor, right? He's, he does not discriminate or show favoritism. He upholds truth and integrity. God's justice flows from him into the very fabric of the universe. We live in a universe that is defined by cause and effect. And each action in the universe has a perfect and appropriate consequence. And this is the nature of God. So let's jump ahead to verse 16. Um, then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to see them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? So God's plan for Abraham was to propagate or bring justice to the world. So... God comes, he eats the meal with Abraham and Sarah, or Abraham, and accepts his hospitality. Um, and then he comes and he strengthens Sarah's faith. He says, hey, by the way, this is still going to happen. It's going to happen next year. Trust me, it's all going to happen. It's all going to work out. So here's the second reason for his visit. Um, his, next stop, his next stop was Sodom, um, this evil city. It was like super wicked, and it was down in this valley. And we see that Abraham went with them a short distance uh, to set them in their way. It's like when somebody comes to your house and you walk them out to their car. It's the equivalent to that. Um, 
in verse 17, the Lord then asks himself this out loud question. And this question is, is like a Hebrew, a Hebraic style that's most often used in the, New Test, in the Old Testament. And it's a question that has an unsaid no answer. God asked this hypothetical out loud question. He had a plan to teach Abraham something. With this, with this rhetorical question, he invited Abraham into this, this dialogue, into this discussion. Uh, one that, by his own, by the Lord's own words, had extra importance because of who Abraham will become. Referring again to the covenant, that he will become the father of nations. Extra important. So, reading further in verse uh, 19, it reads, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I will, I will know. So Abraham was chosen to be the start of this mighty nation by which the world would be blessed. More specifically, Abraham would follow God's command of doing righteousness and justice on the earth. God predicts this and propagating by bringing it into the earth further by teaching his children to do the same. And this would culminate in Abraham's descendant, Jesus. Right? He's the fulfillment of this promise. Given this future, God chooses this moment to demonstrate and teach both of his justice and his mercy and his faithfulness to the man Abraham, the beginning of the blessing, the beginning of this great nation that God was forming. And there's a sidebar in this. Dads, as the father of your families, this is an example we can follow. Given by God himself, it flows from his very nature. Not only must we do righteousness and justice, we're bringing this into the earth, but we're teaching it to our children, as it says Abraham will do. And we teach them to pass it on to their children. And this is our duty as dads. So, God's plan for Abraham was to bring justice into the world. Now, the other thing is God hears this outcry, and he's coming to check this thing out. He does not hastily judge is the point. Um, God displays and teaches his justice with his initial plan to investigate this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. He heard this outcry and he tended to go down and assess the severity of their wickedness. He puts this example of justice in front of Abraham and, uh, and us in the text. Proper justice is to hear the outcry and evaluate the charge before determining the appropriate judgment and consequences. Even though he's omnipotent, right? God knows all. He's omniscient. He displays the standard to Abraham by embarking on this trip down there to more thoroughly examine um, the uh, wickedness of these cities, uh, even though he knows everything, right? So our next example is found in, in Abraham's prayer. Our next example of God teaching us how he's just. Abraham intercedes for the righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And looking at verse 23, we read, Then Abraham drew near, and he said, 
Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he says, suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. We sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 who are in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. This is utter boldness, utter boldness on Abraham's part. You've got, <laughs> he's, he's probably shaking in his boots while he's saying this. Um, far be that from you, God of the universe. Uh, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So this reveals Abraham's understanding of God's justice. And we learn from this text that God would not be just if he were to let the righteous be destroyed with the wicked, along with the wicked. Note that Abraham does not intercede for the wicked city. Who's he interceding for? He's interceding for the righteous people in the wicked city. He has this desire to see the Lord do justice by not giving them the same punishment. He doesn't want them to be treated the same. These people don't deserve what these people deserve. We can't just go on there and uh, wipe the whole place out, is what he's he's very boldly saying to the Lord. Um, So, and he also calls, he also calls, God, the judge of the world. So he appeals directly to him as being a judge, the judge, the just judge. And he shows full confidence. He calls God the judge of all the earth. He's confident by saying this, that God would do what is just. And this should be comforting to us. There is a judge of this world. There is a judge of the whole earth. And justice will be done. But it won't be done in our time frame. We can understand it. Sometimes it seems like God's got a lot of catching up to do, right, with justice. Like, man, a lot of people are getting away with a lot of stuff. But there is a judge of the world, and he's perfectly just. It will be solved. It will be um, judged in the end. So God agrees that if there's just a few righteous people there, he would spare the whole city for their sake. In his perfect justice, he considers the presence of these hypothetical, at this point, of these righteous people. And he's willing to ask justly to preserve the innocent. So we can be certain that he will do what's right and correct to save his people. And if Abraham believed this, um, and he was included in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith chapter, then we can believe it too. We can certainly believe it. Now, another item about God's justice is in the next chapter. And we're not going to cover that today. But in the next chapter, God famously goes down to uh, Sodom. These angels go down and they get Lot, Abraham's nephew. And they're like, hey, buddy, you got to get out of town because turns out you're the only guy in town who's even close to being righteous. And even you are like a struggling, right? So God, not even ten people, Not even ten righteous people were found in this city. And God, in his full justice, rescues Lot, who could only be righteous by by a very lenient standard, right? So in his justice, he destroyed this wicked city. Now, God is also merciful. And this chapter says a lot about God's mercy. When you have justice, you have mercy when it comes to God. 
Mercy is what? Mercy is compassion, it's forgiveness, and it's leniency, right? Shown towards someone who's deserving of punishment or undeserving of benefits. This is mercy. It involves extending kindness, help, assistance, and understanding to those who are in need or have committed something something evil or something wrong, often with an emphasis on alleviating deserved suffering or giving them undeserved favor. This is the definition of mercy. It's a, disp- it's a disposition, it's an attribute of God, and it re- represents his infinite compassion and willingness to extend forgiveness and salvation to humanity despite our own built-in sinfulness. And it's an expression of, design, of, of divine love and grace. And it's ca- characterized by God's act of compassion to bring this plan to bless the world through Abraham and then through Christ, Abraham's descendant. <clears throat> the world doesn't deserve it. That's the point of this, right? It's mercy. So, as an attribute of God, it represents his infinite compassion to extend forgiveness to the entire world. It's incredible. So early, we, we read about this, um, earlier in this chapter, Sarah doubts God. He comes and says, you're going to have a son next year, and she's, she chuckles to herself. She laughs. She disbelieves. He was merciful to her. That's the first example. He strengthened her. He strengthened her weak faith. And her understanding and her ability to believe in his promise. That was a merciful, very merciful act. And one that would have brought great comfort to Sarah and Abraham. I can hardly imagine a life as they had. Hearing directly from God every couple years. Like he would, he would get in a human body and he'd walk over to where they're at. And they could see him right there and he's making these world-shaking, huge, vast promises. I'm going to bless the world through you guys. Can, can you guys imagine this? It, it's difficult. Um, but over, like us, they still had a hard time believing at times. And so God reminds them that he'll keep his covenantal end of the bargain. He nurtures their faith so that they'll have more of it. And then he credits their faith to them as righteousness as we know from Hebrews chapter 11. The prophet Micah confirms this for us. He says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. This is the Lord. This is God. This is vast mercy. And God showed this to Sarah, even though she laughed at this idea that God could give her this pregnancy. So back, jumping back to verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son, but she denied it. She says, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So the fact that Sarah sinned to the Lord's face while he visited her to mercifully tend her faith, to increase her faith, to accept this promise, she snickers about this thing and then lies about it to the Lord's face. That's incredible. It's incredible to me. Um, 
what, what a scene this must have been. Abraham is probably squirming in his boots, in his sandals, whatever he's wearing. He's probably fidgeting like nobody else. He's like, do you realize who you're talking to? Um, this is incredible. So she did this to the Lord while he came to strengthen her faith. And then later, he credits their faith with righteousness. Talk about mercy. Talk about mercy. It's, it's amazing. So look with me again to where Abraham intercedes for these righteous people in Sodom. So we looked at God's justice, and now we're looking at the mercy in, in this part of the chapter. So I'm going to start reading at verse 28. It says, he goes, he goes through the list. Suppose five of the 50 are found lacking. Will he destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he goes down, and, and Abraham takes this number down. Then he says in verse 31, Behold, if I have undertaken to speak of the Lord, suppose 20 are found there, right? So he goes to 20, and the Lord answers, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, O Lord, let not the, oh, let not the Lord to be angry, and I will speak again, but this once, suppose 10 are found there. So he starts at 50 saying, Hey, would it really be justice if you wiped out this like hypothetical 50 good guys in this, in this place? And the Lord's like, Nope. And he, he walks them down. He's like, kind of being apologetic and humble and like probably shaking in his sandals, right? He gets him down to 10. And the Lord answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy the city. So this is an interesting conversation, right? Because Abraham's talking to God. He's talking to God. Interesting conversation. So you could read this if you didn't have the, the rest of the Bible to give you context. And you could assume this is an example of the creator of the God of the universe you know, of God, the creator of the universe, having this conversation with somebody he made, with a creature, right? You've got creator, creature. They're separate. They're not on the same level. They're at vastly, totally different levels. It's like, is God having his vast and eternal mind changed by Abraham's, ha I'm going to whittle him down, you know? That's, that's impossible. That's not what's happening. God knows everything, right? Um, so <laughs> that's something different is going on. So God invites Abraham into this discussion, one that gained extra importance because of who Abraham would become, the covenantially chosen start of this great and mighty nation by which the nations would be blessed, by which the world would be blessed. So the impending destruction of, of Sodom was this obvious matter of justice, right? Now, it's obviously God is teaching something to Abraham about mercy as well. Because Abraham's seed would one day become Jesus Christ, the one, the one man, the man who is also God, who would usher in God's final plan to bless the world and to extend mercy, justice into the world. God saw fit to give us this demonstration of the Savior to come, he sets up Abraham as a type of, as a type or a shadow of what Jesus would do, right? A type of shadow of Christ. Abraham is led by the Lord into this conversation, and then further, he's led into this role where Abraham is interceding for, he's praying for the deliverance of people. He's interceding to the Lord, saying, "Let's." Please, let's deliver. Let's rescue these righteous people. 
And <clears throat> that's mercy. He wanted Abraham to know this because of who he's going to be, the father of great nations, and he wants us to know this as well. Abraham, very humbly but boldly at the same time, um, asked the Lord if he would spare the city. And he lowers that number all the way down to 10. And he stops there. Finally, the Lord does agree. Right? I'm going to save this whole city for these 10 people. And I guarantee you the Lord knew that there's not, there was not 10 righteous people in this city. It's just, nope. But he's teaching Abraham a lesson here. God is revealing to this father of, of nations by which the world would be blessed, that the God he serves is a God of faithfulness, justice, and mercy. So, it's good, right? It's amazing. God has a great plan to bless the world through Christ. And like I said before, it's like reading about something that's too good to be true that's already true. It's pretty cool. It's not a hollow promise. It's happening. And we are. We are that great nation. So God initiates this covenant with Abraham in which he declared his will for all those who would come to follow him. He says, I'm your God. You're my people. We've got this deal, this covenant. Now walk before me and be perfect. Be holy as I am holy. So now after Jesus came and did his work, this promise that God put before Abraham became fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled this promise. Not only can we be delivered from sin and follow God in the state of righteousness that he demands through Christ, we are that vast nation. We're the, we're the numbers of, we're the, like, we're the people that are greater than the, the stars in, in, in the sky and the sand on the seashore, right? It's this image that says there's going to be a lot of people who are going to bless, the Lord is going to bless the world through, and that is us. So we can leave today with a great great hope. We can have newly strengthened faith in our Lord because he's faithful. He does. He does tend his covenant. He does protect and build our faith. So we need to stay in the word. That's where that's where that's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> so let's follow the Father's example and um, let's do rightly to each other. Let's deal justly in the ways that we can, let's have mercy on each other where we can. And let's work out our faith in action. Let's be faithful as the Lord is faithful. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's incredible. And when we dig into it, it changes us. I pray that your word would change our hearts and that we would go from here, not just hearing, but doing. I pray that we would do justice that we would do mercy to each other, that we would our faith would be strengthened by what we read about you, what we read that is true. And so, Father, we give our lives to you, and we ask that you would be blessed through our actions as we serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>